The Get This Podcast is brought to you by ProPhotoGo.com, professional photography on demand. Use coupon code GETTHIS to get 10% off your professional photo session. So whether you need new headshots or you have a big event coming up, an engagement, a wedding, you name it, or let's say you just want new photos so you can look snazzy on social media, ProPhotoGo is professional photography on demand. Use coupon code GETTHIS and get 10% off. Go to ProPhotoGo.com. The Get This Podcast is also brought to you by the best managed WordPress hosting available on the market, WP Engine. People who know me know that I build enterprise-level WordPress websites that serve millions of page views a year, and I only host my clients at WP Engine. If you go to GetThisPodcast.com slash WordPress, you can get three months free off special managed WordPress hosting for your website when you think about the value that you're going to get out of this hosting, it's a no-brainer. You want speed, you want security, you want 24-7 customer support. You want the web hosting that professionals like me use. You can't beat WP Engine. So go to getthispodcast.com slash WordPress and get my special offer. Speaking of websites, lastly but not leastly, the Get This Podcast is brought to you by my WordPress web development agency brand, K2 Creative. You can visit getthispodcast.com slash K and the numeral 2, that's getthispodcast.com slash K2, and click book a discussion for a free 30-minute discussion on anything related to WordPress. I'll be happy to help. Whether you need a new website or you have an existing site, you're not happy with the speed, you're not happy with the security, you need plugins updated, you're having issues, your developer ran off to Costa Rica, you don't know where to find him or her, we can help. My team builds websites that drive millions of page views a year. We can help with membership, e-commerce. If it's in WordPress, we can make it happen. Visit getthispodcast.com slash K2 and click the book a discussion link and I'll be happy to help with whatever you need in WordPress. Hey everybody, this is Kevin Kautzman with Get This, the podcast about things people love. And uh, I am here in upstate Manhattan, Washington Heights, in what turns out to be a very famous building. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. And it's uh, September 6th, 2019, uh, the foul year of our Lord, 2019. And I'm joined today uh, by uh, J.D. Arden. J.D., welcome to the podcast. How are you? How you doing? Super. Yeah. And uh, tell me, tell me what we're going to talk about today. What's the thing that you're passionate about? Uh, passionate about? What do you love? I work as a genealogy and family history librarian at the Center for Jewish History, uh, and I love it. I love helping people figure out their family history and hearing what it means to them. It's a great job. Yeah, that's 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 amazing. You were telling me before the show that you got your you know your master's degree in library science. Did you? go into that with the intention of being a genealogy support specialist or whatever you would call it? I, when I started library school, I had this idea that kind of the Indiana Jones person who hunts <laughs> for artifacts and figures stuff out. It was, belongs <laughs> in a museum. Right. I, I thought that that was an archivist. So when I started library school, I was taking archive classes. And then I figured out pretty quickly that the archivist is the person who makes a list of stuff so other people can find it. But the person who really digs through papers and figures out how to find old documents is more like a reference librarian. So then I switched over to the reference classes and uh, got into my own genealogy. And um, that was it. The rest was history. Yeah, and you you studied at Pratt, was it? That's right, Pratt Institute. And did you did that drive you? Did this study drive you to Pratt, or was it more something you discovered when you were there? Um, kind of b before, yeah. Before I started my my first career, I was a professional dancer. Oh, right on! Yeah. Wow. And um, 
I was aging out and I knew I wanted to transition into a life with health insurance and (laughs) (laughs) stability, stability. Right, right, right. Um, and so in between I was dog walking and sort of slowly transitioning down from teaching and part-time dance gigs. And I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And then, um, I had a dream where my grandfather came to me in the dream and said, find out where I was born. Whoa. What, what year was that? He immigrated in 1912. 1912. Right, no, but what year did you have the dream? The ye- oh, the year of the dream must have been around uh, 2010, 2011. 2010, 2011, yeah. and your grandfather comes to you in a dream. Do you recall, well, where were you? Where were you living at the time? In Inwood, you, upta- uh, uh, what do you call it? Upstate Manhattan. Upstate Manhattan, yeah. right on, right on. So you were living, but you said so. The first thing that JD said when he came through the door, the door here to my uh, my home studio is, uh, "I used to live in this building." Yeah, <laughs> and he was ten minutes early, which is perfect. And he's like, "I knew, I knew how to get here." Yeah, nobody <laughs> nobody knew what Bennett Avenue was when I lived here. Probably for you too, right? People are like, where is that? Is that in the village? Right. Yeah. Well, we get two addresses in this building. It's Bennett Avenue and, and, and 192nd Street. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That is so fun. Uh, wild. So you were living in Inwood and yep. your grandfather comes to you in a dream. Was there was there further context for that dream or was it rather that one singular thing? I think like I was uh, like feeling cagey and directionless and like processing moving out of a dance career and not sure what I wanted to do. And I'd always been into books and listening to stories and people's stories and hearing family stories and thinking about um, where people came from. So I think it was my subconscious mind telling me, uh, investigate your own family and, this this has always been something you've been interested in. Maybe this can be your next career. Wow. What was your grandfather's name? His birth name was Moshe, and he came to the U.S. and became Max, or sometimes Mac. Right. And what was his... What's the surname? Is it... Hellman. Hellman. Yep. H-E-L-L-M-A-N? Exactly. Doesn't it... Uh, auf Deutsch, it means cold man, correct? Right? Hell? Uh, I thought it meant something. I thought it meant like sharp. Sharp, yeah. My German is a little rusty. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we could look it up. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, cold is kalt. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we'll have to look it up. But yeah. was it was it German? German Jewish or, or whatever it is? The uh, Sort of. Well, he immigrated. The last place the family was before they immigrated was Eastern Latvia. Okay. In the Russian Empire at that time. But the Jewish migration had been each generation was further back more west until they were in uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, okay. which is where the name came from. Interesting. Yeah. Right. Uh, you shared a video with me from your place of work. Tell me again, where is that? Center for Jewish Histories on um, 15th Street between, on 16th Street between 5th and 6th Avenues. And I imagine there's a website I can find it. I'll, may I put a link to the video that you shared in the show Please. notes? Okay, yep. right on, right on. Tell me, uh, well, <laughs> there are so many things to talk about. This is why I love doing this show. Uh, my mind races. This vi- this dream, this vision with your grandfather, I like that you, you say, I think it was my subconscious talking to me, but I wonder too, <laughs> you know? There's some wonderful objectivity to a, like, to a visit like that. It could, it could really, it meant a lot, clearly. Right. Wow. Yeah, he died when I was a young kid, mm-hmm. but I always felt sort of connected to him and to his story and his life. He in the family was the one who was a really good dancer. Oh, he was, was the ask. one in the family who was like nice and quiet like me. <laughs> so You are mild-mannered. I just met you and right. I can tell he's a very mild-mannered person. Yeah. So so that grandfather for me had a lot of significance and connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like I kind of missed out on him because he died when I was so young. Oh. So probably also my subconscious mind was connecting to that person in the family history that I related to. That's fascinating. And so what was your journey like? You wake up from this dream and you, you have this 
renewed sense of purpose and what, where does that take you? What, what were the first you know few things you did? I did an online genealogy class um, for a few months and that taught me how to look for records, how to do research, how to go to a municipal archive. Um, and I got better at organizing information and really in general, the whole library studies field is just different ways of organizing information. So that's what I learned how to process. Mm. And how far uh, back do you have your family traced? Um, average for Jewish people is kind of late 1800s. Oh, is that right? Before that, Jews didn't go by last names. They just went by so-and-so son of whoever. Mm -hmm. So once you run out of last names, you're stuck. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, of course. Unless it's somebody really famous. What what changed that? It, was it in this uh, video that they were, you know, you were obliged or forced to, to start to go by a surname? In yeah, the, those, those yeah. empires, Austro-Hungarian Empire, Russian Empire, they wanted everyone to have a last name so they could collect taxes ah. and so people could be drafted into the army. Yes. That was the catch. There's the rub. Yep. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And so you, your families all had to kind of scramble about to come up with surnames that would be acceptable to the crown? Sure. And, or and, whatever. Right, exactly. And a lot of those were sort of auto-generated. Mm -hmm. You could imagine pre-computer days, they had some other kind of technology to quickly produce lots of um, last names, which is why you have that formula so often of like Silverman, Goldman, Silverfeld, they just kept rotating through a prefix and an ending mm -hmm. to generate really quickly lots of last names to say, okay, you, 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 that's your last name. Wow. Yeah. How, how did people feel about this at the time? Um, the evidence that we have in, in library sources seems to indicate that at the time, uh, People didn't like having to take last names, especially if it was for the purpose of taxing them, <laughs> drafting right. them into the army, some imperial army to be sent off, you know, to die for some, some wars. cause that you don't really exactly. identify with. Right. Yeah. Right. So there were a lot of people who didn't know what their last name was, didn't care or switched last names. In a lot of cases, people didn't know exactly what last name they had until they tried to emigrate. Ah, until their first contact with paperwork and bureaucracy. And these were fairly isolated communities at the time, correct? Throughout the... Russian Empire? Mm -hmm. um, sort of. Mostly in urban centers, mm -hmm. um, but isolated socially. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, we have last names, we have our driver's license, we use it all the time. Back then, if you're just living day to day, mm -hmm. you don't have a lot of need to have paperwork and a last name. And you're probably pretty busy with your own business and you want to stay away from authority. Exactly. The last thing you want is to deal with right. the you're, Russian Empire. You're raising your chickens and yeah. <laughs> trying to marry off your daughters. Having your seventh child exactly. and all the rest. Pretty exactly. busy with a... Yeah, that's interesting. Life yeah. has changed so much. We've become so much more bureaucratic, haven't we? Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I tell people when they come in to the, do the genealogy and they say, oh, my last name has two N's, not one N, and it's this or that. I say, like, think about it 100, 200 years ago. People didn't care. They spelled it how it sounded. It didn't make a big difference to them if in one place their name is spelled this way, another place it's spelled that way. So one lesson of people coming in to do the genealogy is to broaden their expectation, have an open mind, mm. think about different possibilities. Yeah, this reminds me of a personal thing with my own family because we're uh, Volga Dutch. And I don't know how much you know about that group. German of ethnic group in the Russian Empire. Correct. Right? Germans cool. from Russia. Yeah. Correct. And we all ended up in the Dakotas. And uh -huh. the, the ones who, who were brave enough to leave, the ones who stayed, ended up suffering mightily under uh, Comrade Stalin. Right. Yeah. So that's okay. So I imagine when this went down, and the and the Russian Empire really started to crack crack down and uh, it, uh, conscript people into the military, things got a little 
squirrely, correct? People wanted, did people want to leave? People wanted to leave if uh, your ticket out of the Russian Empire was false papers mm -hmm. saying that you were a citizen of the Ottoman Empire or Turkish or Greek. Really, really common that people just paid to get fake papers to get out of the Russian Empire. In order to go to places where they were more, that were more, I guess, what did you say, liberal at the time? Or more liberal, open? or just to live in a place where working hard every day got you someplace. Right. And you wouldn't be conscripted for 30 years <laughs> into the army. <laughs> this reminds me of, uh, oh goodness, what is that? What's the, the Woody Allen film? Um, the one about... Oh, no, I can't remember, but it's the one that he... It's all about Russian literature, and he's conscripted into the military, and it'll come to me. Uh, I know the Mel Brooks movie he did of uh, 12 Chairs. What's what's 12 Chairs? Tell me about that. Um, it's a farcical short story written in that kind of dark Russian sense of humor. Yeah. Right, that life is depressing, but also <laughs> absurd. Right, right, yeah. Oh, it's killing me that I can't remember the name of this Woody Allen movie, but he ends up in the military, and then by accident, he becomes some hero, and then he gets it, ends up close to the Russian court, and he's doing his whole shtick, and, you know, goosing ladies with his sword. It's it's right. early Woody, Woody right. Allen. It's pretty funny um, for all the problems uh, with, that, with that fellow. Um, yeah, this is great. So what period are we talking about here again? This is the 19th century? Sure, around yeah. the turn of the century. Right, right. Yeah. And so you have your family traced back to where? To what's now eastern Latvia. Mm, okay. All right. Yep. And where did they go from there? Well, that was where my grandfather immigrated from. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Made it to New York. Uh, became a shoe salesman. Oh, right on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Where was he show, uh, selling shoes? Um, downtown on Hudson Street. This is the this is the second podcast on Get This where somebody's relative sold shoes in Manhattan. Barry, um, and and Barry Barry's also a Jewish Jewish guy. His dad his dad had a shoe store. If you listen to his episode, yeah, tremendous, cool. Uh, that's a good one to listen to. He's an old timer at this uh, bar I used to frequent. And um, yeah, that's great. So he, did, he, did he have his own store or was he a salesman or what? Um, he worked his way up and eventually the store was called Max Shoes. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. You mentioned he was a dancer too. Yeah, just socially. Uh -huh. He was the one in the family that just had dance talent. So everyone told me that's where I got it from. That's great. If, you, if you're going to be a dancer... Selling shoes is a logical exactly. thing, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, being a, a good social dancer, that'll get you a lot of places in this life. You can, you know, you yeah, can, you definitely can make a few moves. Exactly. I want to, as we continue with the podcast, I want to get back to talking about your, your dance career, but I think let's stick with the genealogy for now. Uh, so you, you accomplish your own personal genealogy. You, took, you take a class online and you have your tree traced and all the rest. Uh, did you share all this with your your family now? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, my mom and my aunt also live in Inwood. Mm -hmm. And they, one cool thing was to see where relatives lived and be like, oh, that's around the corner. That's over here, right? Um, to to correct those funny memories that we all have of ki as kids. Mm. That then when we, our adults grow up, look at the actual information. It's like, oh, no, he didn't actually, you know live over here we just thought it was so far away because we were little kids right, right right the a train felt like an attorney exactly yeah right yeah um uh, my mom likes hearing these stories also because she feels like it's a nice way to talk about these people that we wouldn't we don't see anymore anyway they're gone mm. but talking about them finding out information is a way to keep them in the family in the day-to-day -day stories it's very powerful, isn't it? Sure. I think that I read once um, that it's an important thing for... Well, it's an important thing for everyone to do, I think, at some point. You want to know where you're connected in history. And uh, One thing I often think about is that we're not... Not a single person walking around the street is, a, is the product of absolute failure. We've all made it right. somehow. Right. We've survived and we've gotten this far. And I think sometimes when you feel like it's too much and i'm not speaking to you specifically but when generally when it feels like it's too much just remember you're the product not only of evolution but of 
uh, human striving. Right. Yeah. Surviving. Surviving. Yeah. yeah. It's it, if it feels like oh I can't make rent this month or whatever, just remember you you're gonna be okay. Right. Do you know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You've got that power in you. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. And think of the bravery of these of these people coming from East Lat East Latvia. Right. <laughs> to New York. What were they speaking? Were they speaking Yiddish or? Or they, Russian, or they were part of a, a minority Jewish social group that was speaking Hebrew mm-hmm. in day to day life, and into that, like back to the earth, work a, a good, honest day to day job, mm-hmm. you know, like right lefty, uh huh, right, build up, build Working up the people. nation, yeah, right, exactly, right, 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 yeah, okay. Do they bring that politics over here? Definitely, too? yeah, yeah. Boy, there's nothing like leftism and Judaism, uh, the intersection of those two. Right. It's such an interesting conversation. What is it, a red diaper babies? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I interviewed a guy about that once. That's interesting. You use your family still all, all pretty uh, pretty lefty? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And York. proud. Yeah, right, right. There's nothing to be ashamed of. It's complicated, though, American politics right now. Wow. Yeah, Interesting. Um, how did how did he get over? So he t- he takes trains and everything, and and then finally ends up. Uh, what ports do you do you know? It's a good story, um, especially with all these people talking about how Im- how people should immigrate, right? Like basically, if your ancestors came through Ellis Island, they didn't wait to get a visa. They weren't like legal immigrants the way people in politics now try to talk about legal immigration. Nobody went to the consulate in the Russian Empire and got a visa and got on a boat. They came over to Ellis Island and basically they're applying to be refugees. They're saying, we're here, please let us in. Um, My grandfather smuggled onto a cattle ship. Wow. And came to New York uh, as as a stowaway, basically, on a cattle ship. He came alone? Uh, He came with his parents and sister. And so how did that work? Was there some bribery involved? They hit some of the people up and then what? I, I can right. I can imagine. Yeah. Right? Right. Where would you even stay? Like in like in stowage or, or what? In in that ship there must have been some extra rooms. The the family story that we heard was that uh, my grandfather as a little kid was so seasick, so he was throwing up on his big sister the oh, whole trip no. over. Oh right? And like cows are there they're like stuck in some little <laughs> oh, room God. Talk, like talk about surviving right right and now now today we we kvetch about having to take the to transfer <laughs> right to get the green point <laughs> like, ah, ah i don't want to people go kvetch about being stuck in the train for an extra five minutes like imagine being stuck on a cattle transport ship right for weeks oh. coming over to america right and how many weeks did it take i think that Trip at the time took at least a couple weeks. God. Yeah. Where did they embark from? Um, they got off the ship someplace in some port, probably in New Jersey. Okay. Right? They skirted around Ellis Island. Oh, right. Because it's a of cattle ship. Cattle ship, right. So, or like Red Hook or somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then that was it. Right. They got off the ship. And they're and, here. They're and, Americans. And invented a story. Wow. Right? Because then later when you have to apply to be a U.S. citizen, they made you say, what ship did you come over uh-huh. on? But they didn't ask for any proof. Right. Because nobody had proof. Right. What proof do you have? They right. were just, yeah, maneuvering people through Ellis Island as quickly as exactly. possible, right? Exactly. Fascinating. Well, at least he came over with a, with a family. How old right. was he when they made that trip? He was. He must have been four or five. Little kid. Whoa. Right. His big sister was eight or nine. Those those parents to, yeah to do and that. actually that was he came over with his mother alone oh so talk about strong ancestors right the immigration pattern for a lot of americans is that the father came over first uh-huh. finds a job finds a place to stay saves up money sends money back and then the the wife and kids come alone wow a few years later so that that was the same pattern unbelievable yeah right Nation of immigrants. Exactly. Have some compassion. Exactly. You're not that special. Right. Just because you're, maybe your skin looks a certain way or you practice a certain faith or you've been here longer. Exactly. Yeah, get your head out of your ass. 
Um, sorry, you don't have to do that. Yeah, it's like, come on. That's what that's... makes America great, right? right? Like, not not walls and, and posturing, but right. immigrants who make the country what it is. Yeah, right. And maybe if we had more of a, an attachment and interest in stories like this in right. our own families, there's such an impossible pain in the American experience. That's the flip side of this coin sure. that I think a lot of people don't want to cope with and the grief of losing your history and losing your cousins and losing your roots and right a, and and even those who came over and settled in villages of relatives which is what happened with with my family those whole villages emigrated uh-huh. and made their way into the, again the dakotas and things but we didn't hold on to that that right. all went away right and what did we get in exchange for it well plenty a lot of comfort a lot of creature comforts and Netflix and things, but right. we we lost a, a heck of a lot too, didn't we? Yeah. yeah, and and it's always a gamble, right? Like the the strength of those people to come over, start a new life in a new language. Maybe you make it, maybe you don't, right? Right. So they and, they took a gamble, and that's why we're here. <laughs> this is great. I love stories like this. Yeah. Well, I would encourage people to go and. If they don't have somebody in their family who is the genealogist, make an effort. Our stepfather, my brother brother and I have a, have a stepfather, and he was very generous with this. And I know I can tap him on the shoulder at any point and say, hey, I want to know these stories. And he has them archived and, stu- and stuff. Actually, this, this is a good podcast because this will prompt me. I think I'll send him a text at some point. I'm definitely tell cool. him to listen to this. Um, what, do you, uh, what do you recommend if somebody has never thought about this? Where, where does somebody start? Go to your local library, first of all. Mm. Um, we're called Center for Jewish History, but we're basically a public library. And you don't have to be Jewish to use the genealogy tools that can help anyone research. Where do you find documents that intersect with somebody's life at points where they got married or immigrated or uh, were in the house for a census? And you can take all of those clues, put them together. And then the interesting part, I think, is then to try to imagine emotionally what people went through, what their life was like. Take all the names and dates and the details, and then you can think about the broader story as part of history. Right. Yeah, I imagine it can lead people down some interesting paths. Yeah, and then you get to be the family historian, too. The I family think. detective, yeah. <laughs> that, I think that's the name of the episode. That's a good one. Yep. The family detective. Exactly. That's great. So somebody comes in and they need your help. What does a day look like for you, then? A lot of people use Ancestry.com. That's mm-hmm. the easiest and the biggest one. Um, Ancestry is free in public libraries. You can also get it for two weeks at home for free before they start charging you. There's another website called familysearch.org, mm-hmm. which is almost the same, but it's totally free. You can use it on your home computer to look for census, immigration, those kind of records in the U.S. Now, this is a little bit of a left field question, but is it true that the Mormons are extremely into genealogy? And he's nodding. Yep, that's <laughs> familysearch.org is the LDS church. So for whatever reasons and whatever else people might think about how they use the information, a byproduct of their interest in ancestry is that they created the biggest genealogy library in the U.S. in Salt Lake City. They've sent people all over the world into these little countries to scan or microfilm records in archives and put them online. Now they're trying to digitize all of that work that they did. So because of that, this is a great resource that's available to everyone. No judgment. That's great. Yeah. You good. don't, you don't have to thing. put in your family tree if you're nervous about the Mormon church collecting your family information. You can just sign up with an email, use the site, and you don't have to put in your family tree. Yeah, I don't want any Mormon baptizing anybody in my family posthumously. Retroactively. <laughs> right. Retroactive baptisms. Right. You heard about that? Yeah. It's kind of kooky. It's kind of kooky. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? You do you. You're in Utah, wherever you are. You do your thing. 
Thanks for the genealogy. Exactly. Right? Yeah, that's pretty cool. So you, I, I want to get to the question again of, of you in your day to day. What does your work look like? So people walk in off the street. They may or may not have already gotten to a certain point in their genealogy. What's cool in our building is that we have uh, papers of immigrant aid organizations, those places people went to and joined clubs, everyone from the same town, right, to band together. And before the days of Social Security, that's how people paid for social services collectively mm. through these little immigrant aid organizations. So uh, if someone's family was local, they could look up those kind of records that are only in our archive. Um, and in the downtime, we, the librarians, are really good at making lists of stuff, <laughs> make more databases, organize books, things like that. What's the, what's the database software you use? Uh, LibGuides. 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 We, all right. Yeah. We make, uh, by different topics, we make all these research guides on, on LibGuides. Uh, we have a cool map project where we're superimposing an old map of New York on present day so you can see where institutions were. Oh, that's interesting. A hundred years ago. That's really cool. That's one of the things, uh, getting back to that ta uh, conversation about America, we turn everything over so fast. Everything changes so exactly. quickly. We don't really, we're not precious about hardly anything. Exactly. Contrast to, say, a place like London where they've got these blue plaques on every building where famous people lived so you're connected and you feel you know, the, the, that current of history. Right. It's here in New York, too, If you, but you kind of have to be a little more intentional about it. Exactly. Yeah, here it feels like we fight to keep things and maybe in old-timey european places they fight for things to change <laughs> right right yeah that's exactly right that i think that's a good point leads to a lot of uh, dynamism but i think it also leads to a lot of alienation and i took one of these um uh i do web development i told you and one of my clients had a scavenger hunt uh, in uh midtown and it took us through all these historical locations um, from uh, Grand Central Station over to the library, and that was that was brilliant. I really enjoyed that. Cool. It was yeah. a phone app. Uh, no, it was all. Um, or wait, was it? Yes, it was on our phones. It was on yeah, our phones. Cool. Yeah, it was really nice. But we had to. We had. To, it was a scavenger hunt, and we yeah. had to do. My team got a. I think a perfect score, like ninety nine <laughs> out of hundred. But we were the second to come in, so it was like ah, we, we didn't win, but we did okay. Nice. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff down there. It's just interesting. Um, so you're, and your family's just stayed in New York the, the whole time? You all haven't... Back haven't and gone? forth, New York, New Jersey, um, moved around some other places, but n more or less now everyone is back or, you yeah. know, within a couple generations back and forth. Have you heard any crazy stories from people who go and discover something in their genealogy that's a bit shocking Oh, we get those stories all the time. Yeah. All the time. Give me give me two or three. A great, a great story was some woman who came in and she lives in Brooklyn and her family's always been from Brooklyn. And she kept searching the database saying, only Brooklyn, only Brooklyn, only Brooklyn. <laughs> and she wasn't finding any results, right? Just... <laughs> so gently, one of the librarians suggested, you know, maybe by the time you knew your grandmother, she lived in Brooklyn, but maybe she lived somewhere else. Open it up to some other boroughs in the search. And this woman was adamant, no way. And definitely not the Bronx, because the Bronx was disgusting, and my grandmother hated the Bronx. And, like, click, add the Bronx to search, bing, there's the result. Oh, no. Right? Brooklyn, not in the house. Right. Exactly. Oh, so no. it explains a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, you got the Yankees. Come on. Right. Come on. So that's a great story. Oh, that poor woman. She goes home. My life is a lie. Right. <laughs> She's going to throw all her Jay-Z albums out. <laughs> yeah, sometimes uh, you wonder, is it better to know the truth or would she be happier? <laughs> oh, we had family Just, live in the Bronx. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> what else? Do you have any other good ones like that? Oh, I don't know if you can top that. Oh, some other good stories that we've heard. Um, well, everybody can probably relate to this when you do the math and you add up when so-and-so was born and when their parents got married 
and kind of backtrack that math, and uh, it's a little bit less than nine months. Mm. But, somebody, somebody got the shotgun out. Right, exactly. All right, you're getting married. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that explains a lot. Yeah, this is before the pill, for sure. Yeah, or either, or those babies were very early and very healthy. <laughs> One or the other. Right, yeah, there's always a story. There's always something. Yeah, this is renewing my curiosity in my own family history, and I'll certainly, I hope that the podcast will do the same for other people. Again, this is the Get This Podcast. You can find us at getthispodcast.com and uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, uh, the other one, Stitcher, and you can also listen to it on the website. So you have no excuse you got to go. Subscribe. we got a Facebook page. You can like it. Please do. Thumbs up, all that. Uh, and, the, you know, the whole goal is to do interviews like this where we talk with people who are passionate about something. It's a show about uh, things people love. I'm also taking guests, too. So, you know, if you want to get in touch, I'm on Twitter. It's just my name. I'm Kevin Kautzman, K-A-U-T-Z-M-A-N. You can find me. Um, Oh, JD, are you you on social media and stuff too? Is the is the center on social media? Center for Jewish History is on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us there, Center for Jewish History. On Twitter, we're C Jewish History, just the letter C. And uh, we still got plenty of time for the podcast, but I like to you know I like to get some plugs in during the middle of the show. Uh, do you do events and things at the center? We do events. We have a nice auditorium, music concerts, plays. Oh. Opera, all kinds of stuff. Really? Yep. Wow. What, what, do you have anything coming up? Anything that's top of mind? or? Um, we have done some family day events where kids can come and listen to music and be entertained by puppeteers. Oh, wow. That's one of our events coming up. Um, check out our program page on our website, cjh.org. Great. Wow. And is it a lot of uh, traditional music that's played, or is it more contemporary? Could what? be. We're kind of all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anything that relates directly or indirectly to history. We have some museum exhibits up about um, Emma Lazarus, the woman who wrote the poem on the base of the Statue of Liberty. Okay. Okay. Um, some stories of immigration in the last century. So... Something for any kind of interest. Yeah, I should make a little sojourn and go there, for sure. Is the museum space you know, quite large? I mean, is it something you can go through in a half an hour? Or We have a collection of smaller galleries, mm-hmm. so you can see a lot of different things in one visit. Okay. For now, all of our museum exhibits are free. Sometimes, oh, wow. sometimes we have ticketed museum spaces, but at the moment they're all free. That's great. Yeah. And is it just sort of regular hours? Uh, Monday through Thursday, the library is open nine thirty to six. Mm-hmm. Um, the museum spaces stay open a couple hours later most of the week. Fridays, the library closes at two, but the museums are open until four p.m. Wow, you really got it down. So. If I was to come in and say I wanted to do some research, is it just like a normal public library card, or do you have to do some sort of special... Just like a public library, even easier than a public library card. You can come to the computer right away, sign up, get your account, and start requesting books right away. That's fascinating. I love this. Where did you? Where do you all get your funding? Is it privately funded or... Mostly government grants. Oh, wow. Amazing. Well, I want to... So let's circle back. I want to talk about your your time as a dancer. Yes. So you, before this life, this life with health insurance, right. you were walking your dog, walking dogs rather, living in this building up here at right. some point. Were you, were you a dog walker when you lived at uh, 225 Bennett? Uh, not quite. I, the dog walking was my transitional out of dance. Out of dance. Like uh, pay the bills. And did you, did you go to, a, what, a conservatory or... A... I did the Jose Limon Professional Studies Program. Okay. Jose Limon was uh, also an immigrant from Mexico around um, the 50s and 60s who was part of the American modern dance movement with Martha Graham is the more famous name a lot of people sure, know. Sure, sure. I, uh, you know, I have an aunt in Minnesota who is a modern dancer and a good friend uh, who's from Brazil who came to Minnesota to, to have his own dance company, and he teaches dance, and uh, he's an incredible athlete and does his own 
thing, Marciano cool. Silva de Santos. Cool. Yeah, and I haven't heard from that guy in a while. I'm gonna have to send him a text and check in. Uh, so you were you were a modern dancer? Yep, modern, classical modern. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you did this uh, this uh, what was it again? Jose Limon. Jose Limon. Yes. How how long was that training? That that was a full year. Okay. Of uh, the technique, notation, um, teaching, choreography, everything. Where did you go to undergrad? I went to Brandeis University okay. undergrad what did you study? in Massachusetts. I did a program called uh, Cultural Studies and Arts Program. Okay, right. So you were you were doing dance there too. Right. All right. What was your final project for that? Oh, uh, <laughs> I think just a big uh, group performance project. Sure, sure. Yeah. Now we're doing the genealogy of JD. I'm going to get into you. You thought you were getting it off the hook and just talk about your grandpa. And right. The, uh, <laughs> um, that's interesting. And so then you do this Limon program, and was that was that quite intensive? It was very intense, but great. And um, it was nice for me because starting out as a aspiring dancer in the city, just like taking class, taking class, I had to figure out where do I fit? Where does my sensibility and my movement fit into the range of classical or modern or contemporary dance? Uh, so that actually I could make it and make something of a career, which was also taking a lot of luck. Yeah, I can imagine it's got to be much like the theater. Uh, and you have to know people, you have to network, you have to connect, you have to get the training. And yep. even, even then, you have a tend to have a limited shelf life. It's tough. Right, it exactly. tends to be a young person's thing. Uh, yeah, even the theater, even playwriting, as strange as that sounds. Um Okay, so you, how long did you dance? How many, how many years were you, were you working? Uh, like four or five years. Okay. But kind of transitioning up, mm-hmm. little gigs, little gigs, permanent company job. Oh, nice. And then when I transitioned down, kind of transitioned down through dance on film projects, little choreography projects um, on my way out. Do you still get to do it? I take a nice neighborhood class in my neighborhood. Well, and then you show up and you just throw down, yeah, right? Right. right. <laughs> You're like, that, Ugh. <laughs> that. That is one nice thing about being a former professional dancer is you can go take class anywhere yeah. and, yeah, pick it up really fast. Right. And just do it for fun. Sure. Uh, I just got to make sure this thing is still uh, firing. Yeah, we're in good shape. Cool. That's really cool. And so where are you living now? You're not the Bronx. We've hey the Bronx right. the Bronx is great so a lot of love for the Bronx yeah. a lot of love for Brooklyn and being a former Washington Heights uh, Inwood resident I kind of like to stick up for the Bronx yeah for right? sure everybody's so smug about their borough people in Staten Island right now are like oh Staten Island's the best you know they, you gotta love where you live yeah exactly I mean New York takes its pound of flesh and so you you do get an attachment to your neighborhood exactly I, I always say they're gonna have to drag me out. You know, by a, I'm gonna have to be a corpse before they get me out before of Washington, you leave Washington Heights. Heights. Absolutely, I'm, right. I think I'm a lifer. Um, I love it up here, I really do. But you, you moved. You're a traitor. <laughs> <laughs> so yep. you, uh, you I know, defected. Yeah, finally def- to to Brooklyn to, to Brooklyn. a little neighborhood that no one has heard of called Kensington, uh-huh. which is between Borough Park and uh, Didmus Park, right on. south of uh, Prospect Park. Yeah, yeah. Well, what else do you do? What else do you do? Do you have any other hobbies? Anything you do for fun? I love now to go bird watching in the park. Oh. Officially, totally nerdy. Yes. Librarian who goes into the park to watch birds with binoculars. You are ready to be Jonathan Franzen's bestie. I I bet. (laughs) He would love you. I bet. That's amazing. So let's talk about this is something else that my stepfather is into. He was into birding for a long time. All right. This is strange, yay, these synchronicities. Yay nerds. Yeah, yay nerds. Is it is it that you're into categorizing and labeling and understanding and what is it? Is it the database mindset and I'm but, sure that's part of it for me. Also, um, as a dancer, I used to do lots of yoga and meditation and body awareness kind of technique. Mm-hmm. And bird watching is something similar to me because you have to be quiet and just meaningfully step by step walk through the park on these little trails and be aware of what you're seeing and what you're hearing and pay attention to what's out there. 
wow. Yeah. And okay. It's very meditative. I, I like love it, it a lot. Yeah. Walk me into the wonderful world of birding. This was an unexpected topic, but I'm into it. How did you get into this? Uh, Prospect Park um, officially has guides. So I've only done it in groups that you show up and they supply you with binoculars. And in this little group, you make your way through the park. And the expert has learned all the bird calls and all of the birds that are around in different seasons. And we all check them out and take pictures and make notes about what birds we've seen, what birds we have to still check off on the list. (laughs) I love this. It's tremendous. Are you going to cross the the Rubicon and start going out on your own or? Eventually, yeah. It's just so cool to think about um, how birds and the migration patterns tell us about our environment, right? And Mm. uh, climate change, how far birds are coming north or south in their natural migration patterns. And that is that starting to change? Sure. Wow. Yeah. Mm. I I heard something. I watched the climate town hall. I watched almost all of it. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing some work for an outfit that is involved in this. And it's a startup. And it went, it was like seven hours. I didn't quite make it through to the end, but I I watched most of it. And um, I think it was Warren who was talking about, somebody brought up a Blue New Deal and how the oceans are so affected by this. And they were talking about fishermen and how... The fishermen are starting to have to compare notes with people from other parts of the coast because they're seeing fish that they've never seen before. Wow. Um, Which is quite alarming. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same with birds now. Definitely. We're part of this ecosystem, whether we like to think about it or not. And yeah, we share this planet with all these other creatures that are affected by what we do. Isn't that interesting? There's a kind of an... uh, correlation there you can draw between the way we treat history and the way we treat the environment in the present now isn't there so we kind of want to divide ourselves from history we're the independent people here in america right strong dynamic individuals well maybe maybe there's more to the story maybe maybe your ancestors lived in the bronx for a while (laughs) maybe we need to pay attention to the birds yeah uh what's the what's the most surprising bird that you've seen so far Oh, some beautiful... I'm, I'm still a beginner, so I don't get all the names right. But there's a beautiful bird that has this name that's Waxwing. Because waxwing. its wings look like wax was dripping in different colors from the tip of the wing um, towards the center of the bird. It's really beautiful and very rare and kind of iridescent. And that in my uh, Prospect Park bird watching was one of the highlights. A very shy, iridescent, beautiful bird. Waxwing. The waxwing. The waxwing. And when that happened, was your bird watching guide all freaking out? People were very excited. They were. <laughs> there were tourists from Sweden oh. on our on one of the recent bird watching outings, and they were freaking out. They were here as tourists in New York. They love bird watching, so they want to come do bird watching on their vacation. Yeah. And they saw one of the the rarities of uh, New York area bird watching. That's amazing. Yeah. And did you know what you were seeing or did everybody have to explain to you, dude, this is a this is like seeing Pink Floyd? The guide concert. kept saying, Maybe we'll see this, maybe we'll see this, but don't make too much noise and look out. It's gonna be hiding in the shrubs. Mm-hmm. If we're lucky, we'll see this waxwing. Wow. And and then we did. That's fantastic. Yeah. If people want to get into this, is there something they can go to? Is there some service? or Check out uh, Prospect Park website, Facebook page. That's how I got uh, involved. And they shut down for the summer because it's too hot. But starting up now in the fall, they'll have these guided birdwatching tours um, on the weekends, maybe some other days. You mentioned too that the climate change is affecting this, or the the change in the climate is yeah, it's doing it. Is there is there a stark example? Is there something that's top of mind? 
hmm, probably one of these prospect park guides could give a better sure. explanation than I could. But I remember that in their bird watching stories and experience, they've already noticed that birds that usually didn't make it this far um, one way or another in their migration pattern are showing up in New York because the climate is changing. Hmm. We'll have to watch that. There has to be something to that. Franzen, Jonathan Franzen, really hates cats. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know about this? Have I, you read I didn't his... know about that. Yeah, he really hates cats. He, he Well, he, he doesn't mind house cats. Right. But he, he really resents people who let their, their cats run wild because apparently the cats will just will kill birds just to kill birds. Oh, no. Okay. They'll... So now I'm more on his team. Right. I love cats, and I love house cats. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how I feel about cats that are kind of let loose, because apparently they'll just decimate uh, populations. They'll they'll kill just for the pleasure of killing. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't know what to say about that exactly, but I remember I read a long article about it. He's an, he's an amazing bird-watching advocate. He absolutely loves oh, birds. Cool, cool. Yeah, he's written some some long pieces about it, and I think, I think Freedom may have had you know birds pretty centrally it's been a while since i've read that but he's a great writer i uh, speaking of do you what do you what do you read for fun you have any uh, any love i mean you must have a love of books sure one of my favorite authors is this guy bruno schultz mm-hmm. who um combined his own text with his own artwork and he creates this kind of kafka-esque oh. um Ooh. surreal dark Ooh interesting world but it's interesting to me always when i can read a text and see illustration also by the same author so he's one of my favorites bruno schultz and it's not a graphic novel it's something a little different it's um, a novel with his illustrations i see yeah wow yeah cool what are the i mean you mentioned kafka-esque and you got my attention right away What, what are some of the themes his most famous works are called The Street of Crocodiles and Sanitarium Under the Sign of the Hourglass. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, How'd you like to take a little romp through that guy's head? Yeah. <laughs> Just like take a wander around. What do you think a first date is like with Bruno Schultz? <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sure he's great. I'm sure he's great. Man, writing, yeah. authorship. Well, we got on about another 10 minutes before we make the hour. So I, I want to circle back to the, the source of the, the, you know, the love for this show on getthispodcast.com. And it's genealogy and your work in genealogy. Um, once you unpacked your family's history and you really, you got to the bottom of it. Well, first, maybe I'll ask, what were, what were some of the milestones? Did you have eureka moments or, or did it come easy? Was it just easy or do you really have to go indiana jones it's a long process that's something i would tell people starting out in genealogy it's a long process you're going to find clues put clues together and then find other clues that contradict or that make you rethink the information you already have Um, and little by little things are available online but not everything is online so it does take some digging one of the more meaningful stories that I put together from uh, all of the the documents and information I collected about um, one of my grandmothers was her story um, as a young girl and as a woman. When she was a young girl, her father told her very progressively for the era, you're going to go to college, you can do whatever you want you can think about having a career and that great grandfather died prematurely. She had to not finish high school, Uh start working right away. Um, So gathering information about her family in retrospect gave me an appreciation for the story of her life, what her goals had been how she transferred her her personal goals into taking care of her family and how it's important for us to advocate for people to have opportunities and, and security in life to um, 
you know, to not take things for granted. That's great. That's a great answer. I, you're making me think of my great aunt and great uncle who helped raise uh, my brother and me, uh, and they were the firstborn generation in the Dakotas at the turn of the 20th century. And he had a sixth grade education. She had an eighth grade education. And by the time, and they they weren't able to have uh, children. So they definitely adopted us for a while. And, uh, you know, he worked a union job. She worked at the state capitol. They lived near the state capitol in Bismarck, North Dakota. And uh, she was a typist and, but only kind of worked periodically. He really was the breadwinner. Um, and, uh, but by the time we were sort of transitioning into high school, you know, junior high, high school, and we're sort of seeing less of them, we had the internet. Yeah. And they grew up in a village and they first courted with on horseback. Yeah, right. And he went to Korea and yeah. When you when you think about this, it's it's pretty staggering. How lucky we are. And us who are trying to make or made a career in the arts, how lucky we are to have that luxury, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's it's pretty staggering and I think this stuff does put you in context and gives you yeah some appreciation and some gratitude for the struggles and the and the things that came before absolutely and also some context again when it feels like the ground is shifting beneath you and things don't make sense someone told me something once people can't teach you what they don't know uh and if your family if you were being raised in part by people with an eighth grade education Right. What do you expect if right. the world doesn't, the present world doesn't make sense? But they, there are these core values that will, will, that really will carry you forward. And those are things I think, as we meditate on what we're doing now and how we want to live now, what are the principles that really matter and will give your family some continuity and like an anchor going forward? Exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. What was your, and was this your grandmother who wasn't able to, to? My grandmother, I think she dropped out of school when she was twelve. Did you know? Did you know her? I did. Yeah. Oh, I did well. know her. Yeah. So your genealogy helped unpack her story, or did you ask her? Did you talk? By to her? Th- by the time I got into genealogy, she was no longer around. I see. My grandma Evelyn, Evie. All right. But um, I understand now, um, especially the women in the family, how much they had to sacrifice or give up in this society that at the time and still doesn't give equal access to women. So that gave me a huge appreciation and a a motivation to value my own opportunities. She was a whiz at math. She could take a whole row of numbers and just in her head go all the way down the list, add it up, no computer, no, no, uh, no technical aid, just adding massive sheets of numbers in her head. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How did you know that? How did you learn that? That was one of her jobs, and that was kind of the cool story of the family, something that uh, that my grandmother could do. How much has been lost in history because of this unfortunate gender dynamic? Sure. How much talent? How much? How many inventions? How much art? It's given me the, I, you know, I have a daughter. I have a, a you know, a 10 year old daughter. She's going to, she's going to be 11 soon. And, uh, I remember, well, we don't have to get too personal, but boy, I'm, yeah, I'm going to think about this coming out of this podcast and I'm going to, I'm going to think really long and hard about that. Right. Yeah. I, wow. This has been, this has been a great, a great episode, JD. I'm really, really thrilled and I'm so grateful you came on. Cool. Can you tell me, um, tell me again, where, where can people find the, the center? Center uh, for Jewish History is really easy website, cjh.org, mm-hmm. like Center for Jewish History. There you can find the links to programs. You can get the link to come do genealogy in the library. Mm-hmm. Um, museums are usually always free. Uh, and we're open on Sundays. Um, the library is sometimes 11 to 4. Yeah. If people are coming in and the, the gallery space is uh, even longer. Do you have resources and things online? I mean, if somebody's not in New York, can they access things online? Definitely. And uh, we in the library are set up with chat 
phone, email. So even people far away, they can email in questions, call us, text us, chat us, and we'll give good advice. Amazing. And do you want to be found online or is it more about the center for you? <laughs> people can come find me when they come in uh, <laughs> All to right. the center. All right. If you want to get to JD, go to the center. Um, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, JD. I hope I hope you'll do it again sometime. Definitely. This is Kevin Kautzman coming to you from upstate Manhattan, not Brooklyn, not the Bronx, Washington Heights. Uh, and this is the Get This Podcast. It's a show about things people love. Find us on iTunes. Find us on Spotify. Like us on Facebook. You can go to getthispodcast.com. I'm on Twitter at Kevin Kautzman. And hey, thanks for listening. Peace. Peace. Thank you.